Oh, all right, so today's daf is Yudayim. We're a little bit behind. We pick up on Tadzayim and Macbeth. Um, we are digressing a little bit because we're talking about the, uh, the Mordechai going out with Levush Machut, and we used it as a tie-in to say that that's why Yosef gave five uh, uh, changes of garments to Binyamin, not because he wasn't sensitive to the issue about jealousy and sibling rivalry, but to symbolize this. And now we're going to sort of speak about further symbolization of all of this, um, of, of what was going on there, or symbolizing, I don't know. Anyway, so five, about eight lines from the top on Tedzayin and Macbeth. So Yosef fell on Binyamin's neck, and he cried. Um, and Binyamin Bachal Savarah. So, Kamat Savar another way. What do you mean, Savarah, plural? How many necks did he have? Of course, as Raji points out, that's the way the term refers to neck, right? You ever say pant? No, it's pants, right? Anyway, but that's a little different because there are two pant legs. Anyway, it's always in plural, but anyway, all right. Nevertheless, here's the drasha. So, Amar Rabbi Elazar, Bachal Shnei Miktashim Shatidim, he cried for the two uh, for the two um, temples that would be in Binyamin's portion in the land of Israel and they would be eventually destroyed so again sort of interesting together with the symbolism of, um, of Mordechai and the five uh, switches of garments you have the two Mikdashim and of course Megillah is situated between these two Mikdashim according to Chazal Binyamin Bachal Savarav Binyamin cried on his again noted Savarav next but here the Gemara is ignoring the plural. Also cried for the destruction of the Mishkan Shilo. So there was a crying not just of joy, but of, but of some type of a future destruction. Let's just move So right, why focusing separate? Again, you could say that that's raising some special treatment. So no, he's making a point. The same way, clearly, I have nothing against Binyamin because he was not in the whole the the uh, the plot to sell me. So uh, I have nothing. I, I don't hold any grudge against you. It is my mouth speaking to you. As I say, what I say is true. Is, is, is just what is in my heart. I am being uh, sincere. Okay. So he said, ten uh, donkeys carrying all of the good of Egypt. My What's the good of Egypt? He sent good old wine, which is uh, elder uh, elderly people really can appreciate, um, or makes them uh, puts them in a good state of mind. Okay. This is at the end now. About uh, right after after Yaakov dies, they prostrate themselves and they say, you know, they don't know exactly now. Maybe Yosef will take it out on them, um, and so they they prostrate themselves before him. Notice, by the way, a lot of these are Rabbi Yamin Bar Yefet or Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Yamin Bar Yefet in the name of Rabbi Lezer. Anyway, this is what people say: Tala Sagidle, a fox. When he has his time, you know, when he's, uh, when he has, uh, things going his way, you have to, uh, lower yourself. You have to prostrate yourself to him. So they were willing to prostrate themselves to Yosef. Because, uh, Yosef had the power. So the says, Tala, a fox, why was he worse than his brothers? Meaning he was equal, like you could say he should have been their equal, but now he had power, so he was, you know, somebody they had to show, uh, you know, show, uh, 
um, um, honor to or, or subjugate themselves to, but he wasn't a fox. A fox suggests somebody who's at a lower level. So, Ella, Yitmar Hachimari, if it was said, here's the better context in which it was said, Yisrael bowed down on the bed, this is when he calls Yosef to him, and he's going to bring, uh, you know, Ephraim and Menashe, gives them the blessing. So, here's where you should make the statement. So, Yosef, who clearly was Yaakov's son, what's Yaakov doing bowing down to him? Because even a fox has his day, and it, Yosef was in power, so you have to recognize that. Back to the brothers who now are prostrating themselves before Yosef and saying, you know, uh, duh, you know, we're, we're slaves to you, don't do anything to us. So he consoled them. Amar Rabbi again, a lot of Rabbi Yom Bar Yefet, Amar Presumably he gave a drasha explaining the whole, you know, the whole Yosef story. Um, he was an early Thomas man. Um, okay, he said to them, Tvarim Shemit Kabli so means that sometimes it's not enough just to make say say something. You have to do it in a way that people can hear and that they'll uh, you know that'll make an emotional impact. And here's what he said: Ten candles could not extinguish one candle. You all together could not extinguish me. How could one candle extinguish ten? Of course, he has a lot of political power that they didn't have. Okay, but the point was that he, by framing it as Nairobi, he's framing it in terms of like you know the soul and on a spiritual level and therefore it's all about the spiritual plane and clearly therefore I cannot I will not you know I, I don't even have the power not only will I not use it I wouldn't even be able to even if I were to try to use it okay so that's ending that digression back to the Megillah it was a nice time with the Nair and with the wine and with whatever okay um, the, to the Jews there was light and joy and rejoicing and honor so Amar Yehuda Ora Zotora light means Torah so there's the night again okay a mitzvah is a, as a candle and Torah is light Simcha is the yanta Simcha is the rejoicing is mila which we say at the Brit Mila and, and Rashi points out that when God commands the Brit Mila to Abraham it doesn't say Vayizaber it says Vayomer 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 so that's Imratecha Yikar Elu Tzilin Glory is Tzilin V'cheinu Omer V'uko Ameyaret Kishem Hashem Nikra Alecha V'yiru'umi Mecha They'll see it and they'll be afraid of you so that's the idea of like glory and something that like has you know a, an impact on anyone who looks at it now what does all this have to do with anything so what does it mean so that they had a rejoicing in a party and they put on Tzilin and learned Torah so Rashi says, you know, that what reads this as the Gemara is indicating that uh, Haman not only uh, made a decree to, to wipe out the Jews, but that he also, like, as we know, in the time of, in the time of um, uh, what do you call it, of, 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 uh, of, the, of the Hanukkah story and other times, he made a decree also to prohibit religious activities. So, for example, Rashi says... For three lines down in the narrow lines on the right-hand side, Okay? By Yom Tov, he says, which might just mean, again, the Yom Tov. Of course, by Yom Tov, you could tie it into the fact that they initially wanted Purim to be Yom Tov. 
Okay, but 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 then if you look at the next Rashi, Zomilah, I'll call Ela Gazas. So here the Gemara, you know, is sort of uh, conflating to some degree the theme of Hanukkah and the theme of Purim. Um, I don't seem to see there is another um, explanation for this. Um, so that's okay. The Tanya we taught in bright. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, uh, I'm sorry. Okay, the S Parshandasa. Continuing now back in the Gemara um, in Parshandasa. So Aseret Bnei Haman. So Amar Avad of Dimin Yafo Aseret Bnei Haman veAseret. When you say the ten names of the sons of Haman, and then you say the word Aseret. Sarech Benimrinu Benichima Achat. You have to say them all in one breath. My timer. What's the reason? Kulu Bahadi Adadi Nafki Nishmatayu. Because their breath. They're sold, all departed in one instant. They were all hanged at the same time. And to symbolize this, you have to hold your, you know, say it all in one breath. Presumably that somehow shows some miracle or somehow some divine, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, 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 role within what happened. I don't know. So somehow there's some significance in the fact that they all died at the same time. Yeah, exactly. If you look at Tosos, So, okay. I heard, I know somebody once has a position that, I don't know what people, you know, the, the fact that we all sort of, uh, the, 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 the Balkore stops and then everybody says it is presumably based on I don't know there may be other reasons given but presumably no maybe but presumably it's based on the idea that although you're Yotze Kriyas Megillah by somebody else reading because of the principle of Shomea Kaone listening is like you said it but listening but, but having somebody hold their breath is not like right. you held your breath <laughs> so, so therefore you have to say it yourself all in one breath what I just do is I just hold my breath as the Chazan is saying <laughs> anyway so that's where you get Fast front. Okay. Uh, you have to stretch it out like long, the vav vaizata, like the uh, like the pole used, uh, like a river pole used in this river called Livrot. Anyway. I think I think it seems to be the ksiva. My, because it's a visual thing. My time, Makulu Bachad Zakifa is the Kifu. They were all hanged on the same pole. So therefore, it has to sort of symbolize the uh, gallows, which is interesting that you're making a change in, you know, um, in the actual way something is written uh, because of this type of idea of let's have it symbolized. It doesn't sound like there was a Masora to write it big. It sounds like it starts with he wants this symbolism and therefore you have to write it this way, which is very bizarre because normally the tradition of how the letters are written whatever, you know, exists independently of various interpretive traditions. Um, I should also say a mention about the, uh, the fact that we do them all, you know, let's read one more thing about that. Then the Mark says like this, Amr Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa said Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa, Darth of Hila Ishkar Timrasa, of the village of Timras, Kol HaShirot Kula Nichtavot Ariach HaGabei Levena, all of the other poems or songs in, the, in Tanakh are written like the, a, half, a half brick on top of a full brick. The Levena HaGabei Ariach, and a full brick on top of a half brick. Meaning, you know, if you see the way that normally, right, you know, brick is laid, right, how is brick laid, right? Brick is normally laid like this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right? So, like, alternates, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you look at a normal shira, right, if you look at, for example, Hazinu, the way it's written in the Torah, not Hazinu, Hazinu is the exception, excuse me, Az Yashir, right? So that's the way it looks, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, so that's why it's sort of, it's not exactly a half brick on a full brick, but it means stagger. 
Okay? So all of the uh, poems and songs in the Tanakh are staggered. Chutz, uh, with the exception, Mi Shirazo, I know it's called the Shira again. Shira sort of means anything written in a, you know, in a, anything other than a straight pose form of being written. But the listing of the Ten B'nai Haman, it's funny to call it a Shira. Um, uh, but anyway, Umalche Kna'an, and when it lists the kings of Kna'an, Sha'ariach al Gabi Ariach, Vulvein al Gabi Alvena, that there it appears, and it's funny, he says only this because it's also the way it appears by Hazinu, right? It's like this, right, with the big white space in the middle. Which, by the way, it always seemed to me that if there was anything that was going to be written like this, it should have been Shuas Hayam. Yeah, right, right, right. Honestly. Anyway, okay. And, but and, the, and the column in Ha'azina is also wider. Right. Well, that's because each stanza is very short. So, I mean, each half possible is very short. Anyway, so he says, I don't know, because it doesn't fit with the point he's about to make. So, everything except for and other exceptions, okay? Shalote, my time, and why? Shalote, Tkumalimapelaton, that there should not be any rising up to their falling, so it's very unsturdy, of course. That's why they lay bricks in, a, in not like this, because that's highly unsturdy so it means it should be a complete falling so one more thing though about the Asar Espenei Haman which is is that there's you know the, the other sort of tradition of Asar Espenei Haman not mentioned here is that it all has to um, um, you know fill up a column yeah. right because otherwise it would look I mean I don't know it looks so funny we have uh, like the end of, you know other, other shiros that begin like this and then the text continues after even uh, shirat uh, yeah, yeah. shirat and whatever anyway but the uh, tradition is that it has to fill up a column so for most people what they wind up doing right is they wind up writing very large letters for the S.S. Benayamon to fill up a column um, which uh, the Gra is very opposed to because he says we have certain traditions about how the letters are written like a big vav for Vaisasa but we don't have any Mesorah that you write S.S. Benayamon in a larger font than the rest of the script and normally you need a Mesorah of writing to say that you write certain letters larger so what I have when I uh, um, bought a Megillah I bought uh, my wife's door Megillah um, um, many years ago so I had to decide like which of the various Hidurim you know to uh, look for so the one that most people go for is the Hamelech Megillah because some brilliant person figured out that after the first Pasuk the word Hamelech appears so many times in the Megillah that you could actually break it up you know so that Hamelech appears at the beginning of every single column and you know and same size columns so that's like a classic thing people do but there's no like halachic basis for that as a hidur but it's nice anyway but I said but I went with the more halachic hidur and the more halachic hidur is the a Megillah that only has 11 um, uh, uh, rows of text per column why is that a Hebrew? Because then when you get to the Aseris B'nei Haman, ah. you can write all the Aseris B'nei Haman and then the word Aseret, right? <coughs> you can write them all in filling up a column without having to make them bigger. So now every time it comes time to do the Megillah, it's like so much scrolling. Uh, it's it's like long really long. Yeah, anyway, okay. So that's about the Aseris B'nei Haman. All right, so back to the Mark, what? He actually said they're not allowed to write them out, I say it's possible, but he says it's, I, I, I'm not sure what he says the consequences, but yes, he says that that's not the uh, writing of that's not the way Megillah should be written. Okay, so back to the uh, back to darkening the psukim. Okay, 
the, you know, the, uh, you know, so, oh my God, look what they've done. They've killed about 500 people. Who knows what they've done? But somebody knows the And you, what do you want? So obviously there's a major shift in tone from the beginning of the Pasuk to the end of the Pasuk. So, the angel came, the same way the angel moved Esther's hand at the critical moment. The angel came and slapped Ahasuerus in his mouth and therefore he switched his tone in the middle of his sentence because it is a very strange Pasuk, right, that he's sick. So, he's incensed and then he says, but you, anything you want okay when he came before the king Amari Masefer he said with the uh, with the you know with the book Yashu Machshavto HaRa'ah you know Al Rosho so who is the who is saying this so it sounds like it's the king saying it right she came before the king the king retracted it wasn't exactly the king who retracted it was Mordechai who retracted so Amar Amar Mibayale she said it should be so Amar Rabbi Yochanan Amra Lo Yomar Bepeh Mashakatu Vesefer so she said to him, Raji takes out the words Amra Lo, because who's she saying to? Saying to Mordechai, saying to the king. He takes out those words. He just as it says, Yomar Bepeh Mashakatu Besefer. That you, you should say over verbally what is written in the book, which means what? So if you take a look at Rashi, Rashi says the following. He says, Hachi um, Garcinan at the end of the right hand column. Amar Rav Nachman, Yomar Bepeh Mashakatu Besfarim. The Lord Garcinan Amra Lo. Bahachi Perich Seder Mikraos. Kachu. They accepted the practice of doing Purim. Kiaman ben Abdasa Gagi, top of the left hand column, you know, wanted to do all of these things. When Esther came before the king, Amar Imha Sefer, Mordechai, Mordechai Kasev Aleim. So now the subject, you know, switched. Sheyasu Purim, Kiaman Bikesh Abdam. So the way he's reading it is Amar. Um, it, it switches it to uh, to Amar, right? I'm, I'm sorry. Hold on, let me just see. Yeah, Yomar um, So it's Amar. Mordechai said, you know, or or it was that you should say, you know, Amar. Uh, well, I'm sorry, I lost the light place. Yomar prepare Masha You should say out loud what is written, meaning sort of reading it in terms of. Let me see. I'm, 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 no, no, it's not. Nobody said it to anybody. It's sort of talking about the practice of Purim. Hold on. Let me let me let me get this again. It's, uh, it is. Here is it. I don't know. I'm not sure how, to go, how it's reading it. One minute. I thought, I, I thought it made sense when I prepared this Gemara. One minute. Anyway, somehow it's Amari Masefer. We should say this and we should recite this from the from the Megillah. I think it's how does how do they translate it? What do they do with that in the yard? So, do you see how they translate that? Oh, so it's just that she said Tachashverosh that he should orally proclaim the same thing that was being ri- that was sent out in the uh, letters. That's how she reads it. I don't you think that's what I from memory. You should read it. Yeah, so what you're saying is, I think, closer to our armor low gear. So what he's saying is what Rashi is getting at—that it's just some way of referring to the reading of the Megillah. That you should say ima sefer. You should say each year the Megillah out of the you know read it out of the Megillah. Okay, let's continue. Um, okay, so Shalom ve'emet. 
So the mezuzah needs to have lines in it, like, you know, you make these lines, like indented lines, not, not with ink, but like with an indentation, the same way you do by the truth of the Torah. So now what's the truth of the Torah? So Rashi says, Amitasho Sarad, Rashi says, means a Sefer Torah. Tosus disagrees with this. He actually says that technically a Sefer Torah does not need Sirtut, and that this actually is talking about a Mizuzah. But either way, again, this gets back to a theme we've begun earlier about sort of Esther as, you know, as uh, the uh, Sifre Kodesh, and here being compared to Amitasho Torah, and a point we're going to get to soon, hopefully, is also, right, I'll remind you of the question about what language the Megillah is written in. That while the Gemara in theory, or the Mishnah in theory, recognized that the Sifarim could be written in a wide range of languages, um, you know, the Tfilin and, you know, could not, and the Mizuzah could not, and the other thing that could not was the Megillah. So, again, by giving it, like, this much more, even heavier weight than other parts of the Torah, Tosu sees the same true here about the issue of the Sirtut. Okay? Um, okay. So now it says, where were we? Umamar uh, Kiyam. Mamar, you know, Tivea Purima Eila. So, so the Gemara says, Mamar Esther in Tivea Tamot Lo? How about the fact, you know, Tivea Tamot Vizakatam, right? What's the Pasuk? The Pasuk is, Makayemi Tivea Purima Eila, Dizmanehem, Kashir Kiyam Alehem, Mordechai Yodiv Esther, Malkava, Kashir Kimu Al Nasham Belzaram, Tivea Tamot Vizakatam. So they accepted to, you know, upon themselves, just way they, you know, the, the uh, Jews at that time accepted the, the fasts and the crying out. And they accepted Mamar Esther. Well, what about the Tzomot? So, so the Gemara says, so let's take a look. So, meaning you don't put the period at Mamar Esther is a continuation of what appeared beforehand. So, Mamar Esther now the question is it sounds like it means that the Jews accepted to do a fast day uh, even though the whole idea of Tani Esther is post Gemara so if you take a look Rashi does not read it as accepting the practice of a fast if you take a look Rashi says uh, no Rashi doesn't say it here okay but anyway but um, someone says that the point here meaning that it is through the fasting and through the words of Esther that Kiyam Divrea Purim through that led to the fulfillment of these words of Purim. The story of the Purim, right? So, I mean, the, the way the English translates it is, and Esther's ordinance validating these observances of Purim were recorded in a scroll. But it seems the way the Gemara is reading it is that they were Mikhayeman themselves the, to, the same way, the same way it was originally observed, the crying out and the edicts of Esther were like, you know, ultimately validated or brought about these days of Purim. So it's reading it as a, as a sort of historical, you know, reference to what led to the, to the actual Mesa of Purim. Um, okay, moving on. Ki Mordechai Yehudi Mishel Malachash Veirosh. The Gadol Yehudim Vratzui LeRovechav. LeRovechav Lo Kolechav. Only most, and that famous midrash, not all. Malamik Shapir Shemimena Miktzat Sanhedrin. Some of the Sanhedrin didn't want anything to do with him anymore because he had left the base midrash. Amr of Yosef Gadol Kamutora Yosef Miatzalas Nefashot. 
Torah is greater than saving souls. The Meikara Chashiv Leil Mordechai Basar Arba. Initially in Ezra, when it lists Mordechai, it lists him after four great people. Um, and later, after the Purim story, he comes only after five. He went down in his status. Those that came with Zubavel, Yeshua Nechemias Raya Ra'alya Mordechai. So he's after four, he's number five, Balshan. And later, and Sukim probably happens after the Purim story, it says, so he's at number six on the list, not number five. So I should say, well, read a little bit more. So I should say about this is quite interesting. Because you remember the Gemara started with the idea that your Mevatling Talmud Torah means name Mikra Right? And actually gave the Mikra Megillah more importance than the Mitzvah of Talmud Torah. Here, it's sort of doing the reverse. It's not only are the people sort of, it's one thing about common perception. Ah, you're no longer a big Talmud Chacham. You went to go into a job in politics. Okay, but the Gemara doesn't just leave it as the people's perception. It also says, actually, in fact, he went down a level because now he's not just involved in Torah. He's got himself involved in other things. So I do find it as a, you know, interesting contrast to the way it opened. You know, and it, it's also a bizarre statement. I mean, does the Mara mean to take it literally? Yoster me'atzalus nefashos? So you have the opportunity to save a life? You should say, no, I have to sit and learn Torah? Clearly, that's not the halacha. So, you know, these, these statements, I think, are more meant rhetorically than halachically, but it's about this sort of, like, ongoing uh, tension about keeping the idea of Torah as the primacy of Torah, and at the same time recognizing, you know, that sometimes other things, you know, do take precedence. Charlie? I was going to say, the leader of the Shas party uh, just this week said that uh, we should abolish the IDF because the Torah study will protect us. There you go. <laughs> it continues with David Letterman's top uh, Ten. numbers, yeah, because, you know, we have the beautiful women of the world. Right. Oh, right. So it's a listing of, the, of who's most important. Correct. The top five, the top six. Okay. So now we end this parak with this discussion about how important Talmud Torah is. Um, and let's take a look. Amar Ravi, Tamar Rav, Shmuel Bar Marta, Gadot Talmud Torah, Yosem, Mibinia, Beis HaMikdash. Greatest Talmud Torah, greater than the building of the Beis HaMikdash. Shekozman Shebarach Ben Neriyah Kayam, Lo Hinicho Ezra Ve'Allah. Why is it that Baruch Ben Neriyah, right, I'm sorry, why is it that, excuse me, Ezra, um, only came to during the uh, you, know, you know when uh, you know to, to rebuild the second base on Mikdash and the returning you know only after the process had started for many many years what was he doing staying in Bavel and you know he only came in the second wave he wasn't wasn't in the first wave and the answer is is because his Rebbe was still alive in Bavel and he had to still be in Yeshiva it wasn't yet time for him to come which works for Ezra who's there like Ezra Sofer so he had finished but he was the sort of representing Talmud Torah and the whole like I said the proto rabbin but the Gemara is dealing with the problem of Ezra such a leader why did he only come in the second wave and the answer is because he was busy he didn't want to leave Bava where he was learning Torah until his Rebbe had died and by the way that's touching on the Beis HaMikdash scheme also that we dealt with earlier right so and the uh, whole centrality of the Mikdash so all of these themes that we have been raising as very centrally significant right Mikra Megillah Beit HaMikdash and, you know, here, and b- by the way, the luck is also, guess what else you're mevatel, you know, in order to do binyan based on mikdash? Yeah. 
Talmud Torah. Okay, so you're Mavatal Talmud Torah for Mikra Megillah, you're Mavatal Talmud Torah for Bigin Beis Mikdash. and nevertheless, the Ensug, and these are the themes that have been the central aspects of the, of the Perak until now, Mikra Megillah, Beis Mikdash, and so on, and here we're being told that Talmud Torah is more important than all of them. So, you know, I don't think that there's necessarily a resolution to it. It sort of reminds me of, like, certain sections in Brachot, where there's a big emphasis on the importance of Tifilah, and then somewhat at the end, you know, it's sort of gets to the importance of Talmud Torah, that there's this sort of ongoing dialectic, and, you know, and the, the, the rabbis cannot have uh, us, you know, ever having sort of Talmud Torah clearly on lower and the hierarchy. So it's not like it's, you know, it's not like it's black and white. We had the other voices earlier, but we have to maintain that tension. Um, and again, it's quite interesting that these two things, the actual halacha is, you are Mevatel Talmud Torah in order to do them. Do you know yes. Yeah, I mean, it sort of goes back to Charlie's point. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to find out. The funny thing, it, it is agadic, and like I said, it's not halacha. The halacha is actually different, but the whole point of agadita is to, is to uh, shape uh, attitudes, you know, and then how does that lead to interpretation of other areas of halacha? So, again, I think that that, you know, it is important. It gets to another theme as well, which is also, you know, m- many... Uh, Contemporary sort of scholars have pointed out the use of agadita as a counter voice to certain, to halacha, to certain halachot. That sometimes the Gemara very specifically juxtaposes an agadita with a halacha to sort of speak about how you know there's there's other sort of themes that are not being addressed and that actually you know it's not as black and white as just halacha. They're intentionally what? Well, no, yeah, okay, that would be a good example. Right, you're supposed to get as drunk as Adolo Yad, and then you have the story of, right, of Rabbi Shachting Rebbe Zera. So which is it? Right, so that exactly to maintain the, that type of tension. And it seems something similar is going on here. Amar Rabbi Barmar, Rabbi Yitzchak, Barshmur, Barmar, Tagolo Tamotar Yosemi Kibur Avaim. Tamotar is greater than Kibur Avaim. Shekol Osan Shanim, Shehai Yaakov Avinu Beveis Ever, Lo Ne'enash. As long as Yaakov was learning in the yeshiva of Ever, but you didn't know Yaakov was learning in the yeshiva of Ever, he did if you do Rashi, um, so anyway, he was not punished. The Amar Mar, yeah, okay, well, okay, that's true, fine. The Amar Mar, but it means he was justified not being with his father and he didn't get punished, so at least if it justifies it, presumably that means that it's more important. But you're right, maybe it's equally important. Why were the years of Yishmael mentioned in the Torah? Who cares how long Yishmael lived? So we can figure out Yaakov's uh, sort of age. So Yishmael was 137 when he died. Do you know how old he Let's see how it does it. The math. Now, how much older was Yishmael than Yitzchak? Our base are 14 years. He was 86 when Yishmael was born. He was 100 when Yitzchak was born. So Yitzchak was, so, so Yishmael was 14 years older than Yitzchak. Yitzchak was 60 when Yaakov and Esav were born. Now, um, so how old was Yishmael? Yitzchak was 60. How, if, how old was Yishmael um, when, when Yaakov was born? 74, he was 14 years older. Okay, all of this is shot of the Pesukah. Now, how much longer did Yishmael have to live? 63 years. Yeah, people are getting a little bit confused here. Okay. So basically, Yitzchak was 60 when Yaakov was born. Okay, when Yaakov is born. And Yishmael is 
74, because he's 14 years old, right? Which we know straight from the Pesukim. So now, from the time Yaakov is born, zero, Yitzchak has, Yitzchak has 63 years to live, okay? Because he dies at 137, okay? So Yishmael has 63 years to live, okay? So, uh, so Yaakov was 63 when he was blessed by his father meaning when he was going to run away to Aram Naharayim so when Yishmael died Yaakov was 63 so that's the key of why we want to know how old Yishmael is because we're going to assume that at the date of, ya- of Yishmael's death when Yaakov was 63, that's when he went to Aram Narayim. Okay, now what is going to allow us to assume that that happened at the date of Yishmael's death? So let's take a look. So Yisav went and he married, because he saw his parents didn't like Benot Canaan, he married Machlas, the daughter of Yishmael, the sister of Nevayos. So she's the daughter of Yishmael. Of course, she's the sister of Nivayot, who is Yishmael's son. So why does it say the sister of Nivayot? So Yishmael married her off, right? She was underage or whatever. He married her off to Esav, and then Yishmael died. And therefore, Nivayot, her brother, had to be the one to give her away at the uh, at the chuppah. Okay, so at the actual Nisuin. So that we know this is the key. We're going to assume that. Yaakov left at 63 because the way it speaks about Asaph marrying and mentions the sister of Nevayot means that Yishmael died according to the Gemara and therefore that event happened if this happened when Yishmael died he was 63 okay so that's point number one okay um, so she's in the class for our, okay so we see okay so she's in the class now he's 63 the base are um, Yosef, and he was four, 14 more years till Yosef was born, right? Because it says, right, because if you read the story, that's what happens. Yosef is born, he wants to leave. His 14 years are up, <coughs> and then he agrees to stay, and he works six more years. So, Ha'ashidin Vashiva. So, he was 77 when Yosef was born. Now, Yosef was 30 when he stood before Paro, so that would make Yaakov 107. Hamea Vashiva. She, um, now, after Yo- Yosef stands before Paro, how much longer till Yaakov gets comes down? Shev de Sava, seven years of the of the uh, of the plenty. Vitarte de Chafna, two years of the famine. Hamev Shitzer. So now that's nine more. So now Yaakov should be 116. So if you do the math, Yaakov is 116. Exceed, and the verse says, So he said he was 130. But one minute, we did the math. He should have been 116. So the Gemara says, He should have been 116. It must be there were 14. What happened to the mysterious missing 14 years? It must be those were 14 years he spent learning in the yeshiva of Aver, and, um, and therefore he did not, those were, that's what we were not counting, and that's why we got to 116 rather than 130. Yaakov was buried, like was hidden, you know, went away uh, to learn. 14 years. Now, and part of the reason they associate it with Aver is because, as Gemara is about to say, if you do also the other math, Aver dies right around the time that the, uh, these 14 years are up. So 
it sort of actually parallels what we said before, but Ezra made Aliyah right after his Rebbe died, so here's something similar, although actually it's two years off. Here, the Gemara says, So, you know, maybe uh, he was no longer giving Shear. He was, uh, it was his last two years, so that's when Yaakov went to Aram Narayim after 14 years, and if you do the math, you'll see that Aver dies two years later. He was 77 when he stood by the Be'er, if you add those 14 years. Okay, so we figured out that there's a missing 14 years. The explanation we give is that he was in Beit Aver, which sort of works because Aver died towards the, a, a little bit after those 14 years. How do you know he wasn't punished for being absent from his, from his parents? Yosef was 17 when he was sold, and we just did the math, and he was 39 when he was, recon- when he was uh, uh, you know, brought to get back together with Yaakov. That's 22 years. And that was the exact same 22 years that Yaakov was not with his parents or his father. And what's the math? The Yaakov was in We just did the math that it was 36. Now, it's not exactly clear how it's 36 because he has the 14 for Rachel and Leah, then the 6. Right, for working for the sheep is 20. We've added 14, it's 34. We'll see where we get the other two years in a minute. But for now, let's assume 36. So what do you mean he was only, he was away from his father 22 years? He was away 36? So, Ella, our base Dahavi Bezais Aver, it must be that the 14 that he was in base Aver, those weren't counted. And that's your, what we're coming out to prove, that the Talmud Torah was greater than Kibbutz Aim. So the Mara says, so so to base Lava and Essin Vishanin Havi in one minute. But still we only have twenty years. We don't have twenty two years. Even if you don't count the fourteen. Basically we added fourteen and now we created a problem that there are fourteen extra. Because fourteen extra in terms of this idea that he was suffered twenty two for the twenty two he was away from his from his father. So, in, so we take the 14 away that we added in order to solve the problem and it shows that he wasn't punished for those 14 years. But now we've got a problem and we only know it was really only 20 years. So, it was two more years getting back. He went from Aram Narayim and he came to Sukkot on his way back and he said 18 months. So, Sukkot what you build in the summer and then there's a house which is for presumably the interim period or whatever and then he did Sukkot again which is the next summer so summer and then winter and then summer is 18 months and somehow we'll add six more months for Beidel we get the two years so basically you do, we were able to say that it was 22 years away we add and that's equivalent to the 22 that he wasn't around his parents um, that, but then there's 14 missing but the 14 we added is missing so it shows you he wasn't punished for those 14 years now, by the way, this is interesting because, number one, he raises questions, which I'm not going to go into, about Kibrava Ain, which is, you know, his mother told him to go away. Yeah. So, you could, and his father, they blessed him to go away. Now, you could say it means, okay, he didn't have to take that long. He shouldn't, didn't have to work for 14 years. Maybe he should have figured out another arrangement. He didn't have to work for six years afterwards. He certainly didn't have to wait two years coming back. But it's not that the whole 22 years were, 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 were you know, were, was time that he should have been at home. They told him to go. So part of the le- question again here is, is this saying a halachic statement? Or is this sort of saying, look, it might be that you have a good justified reason for, you know, for not being... With, with your parents but at the same time it doesn't mean that you're 
doing, you know, like, you're, you're not having the opportunity to do keep it out of the aim. It doesn't mean you're necessarily doing something you shouldn't be doing, doing something wrong, but there's a reality of not having that opportunity. And look, there's very important halachic questions about keep it out of the aim, about what it means that somebody, you know, has to take a job out of state, halfway around the, the world, you know, and it might be that the halacha is, okay, you know, that comes before keep it out of the aim, but still, but there's still a real world impact of what it means not to be, you know, not, not to be able to be close to one's parents and to do the, and to do the myths in the same way. So that's, I just think, one important thing. And again, it raises this question about the sort of real-world aspect of something or the value of something as opposed to sort of the halachic mandate of it. And again, I'll point out, by the way, that this issue about, okay, Talmud Torah, you know, is greater than Kibbutz Aim. So to one degree, you sort of have that expressed in halacha, which is uh, you want to learn at a certain yeshiva and your parents tell you, oh no, or, you know, we don't want you to go there or we want you to stay at home. And the halacha is that you, that, that you actually go learn where you think you'll learn best. Now, part of that has to do because technically Kibbutz Aim is not just, list, is not really about listening to one's parents. So don't tell the kids this. It's about, you know, take to their needs and showing them honor and so on so the actual need to just listen and obey might not technically be but even if going to learn in a yeshiva takes you away from your opportunity to do kibbutz like we've been talking about that actually is the halacha on the same hand on, on the other hand if here I am and I'm learning uh, Gemara, you know and uh, you know and my father says bring me a glass of water or something I stop learning and I bring him a glass of water that's the mitzvah kibbutz it does take precedence over the act of Talmud Torah so again, these things are, you know, are in an interesting dialectic with one another. And again, to repeat the point I made before, that the exact same things here we say Talmud Torah is more important than Binyan Beis Hamikdash, you know, Mordechai's role in Hatzalat Nefashot, and so on. In Halacha, actually, the reverse is true. So you know, these things sort of remain in some in an ongoing tension. Yes. I'm thinking not only having to take a job out of time, but voluntarily making Aliyah when your parents stay here. Right. Right. But that's, that's maybe even easier because it's about Aliyah, whatever, but yes. All of those are very important discussions. Okay, let's now continue. Hadunach Megillah Nikrit. So that was the end of that first parak, which is huge, both in terms of an ongoing interpretation of the Megillah, but also in terms of laying out, um, you know, the, the aspects of the walled city, the unwalled cities, and very sort of central themes about the nature of the, as I said, about the mitzvah of Megillah, you know, sort of the way that was, it sort of became a new mitzvah, the safer of the Megillah, and so on. Now this parak turns us more to the technical aspects, technical halachic aspects of the mitzvah of reading the Megillah. Let's take a look. You read it backwards. You're not Yotze. I don't assume it means each word is backwards, but okay. You read like a later parrot before an earlier parrot. If you read it orally without reading it from the, from the scroll, or you read it in translation, or in any language, meaning you might think that an Aramaic translation is better, you do not feel the obligation. You can read it to a foreigner in, in their foreign language. So Gemara is going to ask, what's that different than saying you can't read it in translation? Similarly, though, however, a foreigner who hears the Hebrew script, now it's funny, Ashurit really refers to the script, but presumably here it means Hebrew, right, because it's also being read from the scrolls, so you could, of course, write, use one type of character script to write another language, but anyway, the, but if you hear it in Hebrew, you're Yotze, even if you don't understand it. If you read it with breaks or when you were dozing off, you fulfill your obligation. Let's say you were writing the Megillah, and as you were writing it, you were like, um, you know, writing drashot about it, or you were saying over drashot, or you weren't, you weren't even realizing that you were, that you were saying out the words. 
right? You were writing it down and you were say, and then you were sort of saying it in your giving of a drasha, but not sort of consciously in terms of doing the mitzvah. Or you were correcting the Megillah scroll and you were, or, you know, you were verbalizing as you were reading, but you, as you were correcting, but you weren't consciously doing it for the sake of the mitzvah. Are you other things other than Megillah too when you're giving your drasha? You um, let's even say not. Even without saying other things, that's not the point here. So, in Kiving Libo Yatsa, if you have intent to do the mitzvah, or at least, this is the classic question of the Sukyot of Kavana, at least the intent to do an act of reading, maybe not to do, maybe you weren't even aware that you were verbalizing the words. So, minimally, you have to be aware that you're reading, and you might have to be aware that you're doing a mitzvah, then you're Yotse. Vim Lab Lo Yatsa, if not, you are not, you do not fulfill your obligation. Haisak Suva Basamu Basikra Bakumus Bakantatom, it was written in all these various types of inks, Alaniyar, if it's written on a, on, on paper, which means, um, um, how do they make paper? Uh, uh, not, not, uh, in, in the ancient world, cloth, right? It was some type of a, um, anyway, aladistera, which is a type of a leather-based um, uh, parchment, but not cloth. Lo yatsai, lo yatsai, you not fill. Atevek suva ashurit ala sefer ubidio. So it has to be written in Hebrew, which gets back to the earlier point about other languages. It has to be written on sefer, which means on cloth, and with dio, which is the ink that halacha recognizes. So we'll discuss all of those particular things about the type of cloth and the type of ink later. Let's take a look at the Gemara. Yinani mili. Where do you get this from? That it ha- you can't read it re- backwards. Amar Rav, Adamar the verse says, like they're, ri- you know, as they are written and in their times. The same way time doesn't wo- go backwards. Um, so, um, or you don't do, observe, you know, the 15th uh, celebration before the 14th. Even what's written about them, you do not do it backwards. It says, to do these days, it doesn't say to read, it's not talking about the act of reading, it's talking about the act of observance. From here, these days are remembered and performed. So, remembered is about reading. Connects memory to doing. The same way you don't observe it backwards, you don't do the walled cities before the unwalled. Uh, you don't do the, mem- the, the, the mentioning of it, the remembering of it backwards. You do it in the right order. So, Mar says, Similarly, by Hala, Kriyat Shema, and Tfilah. So, Minala. How do you know this that they have to be in this particular order in the in, the, in their order? So Rabba Amar Damar because the verse says Mimizach Hashem Eshad Mivo'o from the from the rising of the sun to its setting. So the same way that's in a particular order and that's about you know these uh, psukim in Halel. So that speaks about saying them in order. Rav Yosef Amar Zayomasa Hashem. So like a day occurs you know in a in an order. Rav Avia Amar Yehi Shem Hashem Mivorach, which isn't as clear, but Rashi says Yehi means as it normally occurs in its natural order. From now forever, again, that's a certain sequence. Now, of course, saying Hallel is not a biblical mitzvah. Uh, it's, you know, Ramban thinks that there is a biblical mitzvah, right, to say Hallel on, um, on Yom Tovim, but not obviously these particular prakim and tihilim. Nevertheless, what the rabbis are doing is they chose, you know, those prakim, and they might, you know, you know some traditions may be using dafka those prakim it goes way, way back to the time that David Amalek wrote it or an idea that it goes way, way back. So therefore, they understand that there's a very particular order here that has to be followed and seeing it from within the Psukim themselves. Kriyat Shema, the Tanya. Kriyat Shema, because it says, 
So, Kriyat Shemak Tichsava, we taught in Bryce, it has to be, you have to say it the way it's written. You can't do it in trans- translation. Divrei Rebbe. The Chachamim Almi, Bechol Hashem, you can do it in translation, which is how we Paskin, which is important, right? People that are not, you know, have, don't know Hebrew, whatever, and they're becoming more observant, and uh, you can say it in translation. My time is a Rebbe. What's the reason of Rebbe? Amar Kra, because the verse says, Vayu, Vayu, Vayyayson Yehu. So that they should be, Vayu Hadvarim Ha'ela. So they have to be exactly, exactly as they are written in their natural state in Hebrew. Rabbanan, my timer, why did the rabbi say it could be in translation? Amakra, the verse says, Shema, Shema Yisrael. However you're able to understand it, it's more about understanding and saying its meaning than about saying the particular text in which it was written, the, the exact text that, as it was written. So if Rabbi Nami Haksi Shema doesn't say Shema, why, why did the Torah have to say Shema? Why didn't it say Yisrael? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, Hahu Mibayale He uses that to say that you have to be able to hear the words you're saying. It's not enough just to mouth them. And the rabbis say, even if you don't, aren't able to hear them, you're Yote. I should point out that there is a link of these two positions, right? Rebbe focuses more on the ritual nature of the act. You know, do, like the, the sort of external type of code. It has to be a very, very particular text. It has to be verbalized, right? It's, it's getting to the, you know, the, the way in which it objectively is, is, is said and performed. Whereas the rabbis are a little bit more focused on the, you know, on the meaning, uh, not the meaning of the mitzvah, but like the meaning of the words, less on sort of just the ritual of saying. So they allow it, even if you're not saying it out loud, even if you're just verbalizing it, even if you're saying it in translation, you know, it's sort of, it's still, it's something that you're saying to yourself and that has meaning to yourself, right? I mean, and therefore, so there, to me, there seems to be this, that there's a, there's a link between these two positions. That Rebbe wants more, um, you know, sort of uh, more criteria in terms of the formal ritual act than the, than the rabbis do. And the rabbis are willing to sort of say, look, you know, you're understanding what you're saying. You don't have to make it into a ritual act of a particular text and being said, like doc of being able to hear what you're saying. Um, okay, so the Gemara now just says like this. For Rabbanan Savik, oh, we just did that. Rabbanan Nami Haksi Vahayu, which makes it mean like in their original state. So, who me violates the Loyikra Lamafreya? So, which is what we're, why we're quoting this. So, you can't read it backwards. For Rebbe, how does he know you can't do it backwards? You might think that that's implicit. I mean, if you can't do it in translation. So, that you the words means exactly the way they're presented. And the rabbis don't feel you have to make a drush out of that. Okay. Now, Gemara has one other point about this. Let's say Rebbe holds the whole Torah was said in all, in, in all languages. Now, what does it mean the Torah was said in all languages? So Rashi says it means that you could be you could read the Torah in all languages. Of course, Tosa says, first of all, that's debated. Second of all, well, but, but that's what we're saying. But okay, but second of all, there's no mitzvah in the Torah to read the Torah. So what really it seems to mean is when the Torah tells you you have to say things like mikra bikurim, right? Aramio Vedavi, There's other the places in the Torah where it speaks about saying certain things like the, the you know they stand on Harzvizim and Harayval and they say Avur Haish etc. There are various recitations in the Torah. Is the Torah should what's the default? Are we default supposed to assume that those can be said in translation, or are we default supposed to assume that they can only be said in Hebrew? So that's what says. Let's say that's what this is debated. Maybe Rebbe holds, generally, that the Torah could be said in any language. 
any of the recitations. The Yisrael Kodaisik Belashan Akodesh Hemra, if the default is it has to be Hebrew, so Lamalin the Mechta Vayu. Why would it have to say Vayu? So it's obviously a little counterintuitive, but the Gemara is saying, if you need Vayu to tell you Shmaz in Hebrew, the implication is that the, rule, is that the default rule is any language. So the Gemara says, no, it's strict, you need it. Because the word Shema might have suggested that it could be any language. So, so no, maybe the default is Hebrew, but you still need value to insist on Hebrew, so you shouldn't come to make a mistake by Shema. So now the Gemara is going to do the same thing for the rabbis. Let's say the rabbis who say Shema is in any language, say the default is that it can be, everything has to be in Hebrew. The default is any language. Then you wouldn't need the word Shema to tell you any language. The default is any language. No, it's true. You would still need the word Shema. You would have pulled me Rebbe's way to say Hebrew. So the upshot of all of this is, is that, what, is that it's not necessarily what you say by Shema. It's not necessarily what you say by other recitations. But it raises a general question when there are recitations in the Torah. Are they to be understood to be specifically in Hebrew? Or are they supposed to be in any language? And there's a debate by Shema. It could be the same debate. It could be a different debate. Again, I think it's interesting the way Rebbe, who demands the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew also demands a particular way of, of articulating, you know, and of saying it in a way that can be heard. Now, did I skip a line about... No, I didn't. Okay, maybe it's coming up later. All right, there is something that gets to the idea about Nizkarim Benazim, why Zichira means to verbalize and not just to sink in your head, right? Why does it mean to actually do an act of reading? Um, I think that's going to come up more tomorrow, but you know, it's a point about that Yerushalmi makes in his book Zachor, right, which is the whole ways in which Jews, our memory is a form of, of ritualizing, you know, of remembering and not just like thinking about something, but actually, you know, memorializing something through ritual act and creating the memory like, through, you know, through ritual act. That's clearly the Gemara about Niz Karim is about the act of reading the Megillah, something that we will uh, return to. Let's at least start now the final point here. So we did Shema, we did Megillah. Let's now talk about Shemona Esrei. Okay, Tefillah Minolan. How do you know Tefillah has to be in an order? The time is on the Bible. says, Shimon HaPakuli, he's dear Shemona Esrei, brachot lisnei rev memliel al-hasei to b'yavna. Shimon HaPakuli, brachot lisnei maybe means he was a cotton trader or seller, um, organized the, uh, arranged the 18 brachot before rev memliel on the order in Yavna. So he didn't author them. I mean, there were, you know, these, there were these brachot that were out there and people were saying, uh, you know, there were different variations of it, but he's sort of, Constructed it in this particular order, in this particular text, in front of Rebbe Gamliel. Amr Rebbe Yochanan, Rebbe Levi, Matnisa Tana, Me'ah Vesim Zekeinim, Ubehem Kamen Aviim, Tiknu Shimon Esri Brachot Al Aseder. Wasn't Shimon Apkuli? The Gemara is going to try to reconcile these two traditions. But anyway, it was 120 elders, and some of them were prophets. Going back to the prophet and elder scene that we had before, they arranged the 18 brachot in this order. And now the Gemara is going to go through the 18 brachot. Let's at least get started. Tana Rabbanan, Minayin Shomi Mavot. Give to God like the rams, meaning the strong ones, the forebearers. Avram Yitzhak Yaakov. Uminayin Shomim Gvurot. Shenemar Havu Hashem Kavod Vaoz. Honor and strength. Uminayin Shomim Kedushot. Shenemar Havu Hashem Kavod Shemo Yishtachavu Hashem Bahadras Kodesh. So that opening up with praise to God before you get to the more Bakasha part, seen as reflected in these Sukim, are seen to be praised in specifically this type of order. Um, of course, you know, it doesn't really help us too much in trying to understand the sort of the theme and the structure. Uh, I'll just say one word about that. You know, opening up with the Avot 
sort of, and I think Rasalvechik talks about this a good deal, you know, what bothers Rasalvechik a lot by davening is like, how does a human being, you know, what gives a human being a right, or, you know, how can you even think about the idea of what it means for a finite, you know, corporeal human being to approach God in, in prayer. So, to some degree, he talks about smichat bualitzila as allowing that, and sort of that's another discussion, but also the avot is basically you're saying, we're, like, we're not doing it, you know, it's historic, right? We're doing what our forefathers did, you know, and our, and they've already paved the way, they've somehow legitimated, you know, us to come and approach and to do this. And then, of course, you recognize God's power, you know, and you recognize God's kadosh, which is God, how, God you know, as, as uh, not just transcendent, but the enormous gap that exists between, you know, you and God. So sort of it, all those three together sort of acknowledge the challenge of what it means to be standing in prayer. I mean, God is all-powerful, and God is so completely different than us, which is Rurot and, kad- and Kadushot, and then also, but the Avot is sort of what allows that beginning and that entry to the Shemona Esrei. So we will continue with this tomorrow.